Welcome to Ruin My Life, a podcast about forcing your friends to like the things you like. I'm Jason Edwards. I'm Kelsey Goldman. And Kelsey, what are we talking about on this episode of the podcast? Today, we are talking about Jason's favorite band? I wouldn't say that. No? <laughs> I, would, I would call them the band I most enjoy thinking about. Okay. That's a complex relationship right exactly. there. Exactly. So we're getting into it already. We are talking about Weezer. Weezer. Al- alternative rock Alternative, yeah. Question mark? Question mark? I'm going to say band? Question band? mark? Question mark? Is Weezer One a guy? band? Is Weezer a band or is it a deep state psyop meant to drive me personally insane? Uh, I hope who knows? so. I hope who knows? that second one. <laughs> They're playing the long game. So I don't want to spend too much time explaining who Weezer is. You know, you all know who Weezer is. They are nominally a rock group, a rock band that was formed in 1992. They recorded some albums in the 90s that were well-received. After that, things got complicated. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about my theory of Weezer. And my theory of Weezer is the thing I alluded to last episode where I said I was going to drop my hottest take ever. Yes. And I'm just going to say it off the top. If you care about music and, are, and think about music um, seriously casually to any degree if you have opinions about music you are not gonna like what i'm about to say but i hope you'll just give me a moment and just hear me out my weezer hot take is that they are now in the year 2019 producing as good of music as they ever were if not better i'm not gonna say that as good don't try to don't try to twist my words around okay, kelsey okay, okay. and then lure me into a rhetorical trap that i can't escape from I won't. Now, my feeling is, if you look at not the band as your idea of what the band should be, or what a band should be, or what they should represent, if you look at the songs, the songs, Kelsey. Songs. I think you will see, in my opinion, in my humble opinion, but but honest opinion, as many good songs on the Black Album. Which as is their the most recent album. As, the, as their most recent album released this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, as many good songs on that as there are on maybe the Blue Album definitely pinkerton though kelsey any thoughts about that off the top does anything about that strike you you're not really conversant you're not super conversant in i'm the not weezer lore. super conversant in weezer lore no um i think weezer is one of those bands that i have like this like sort of weird innate inherent like it burned itself into my you know back psyche <laughs> so that like i don't actually know that certain songs are weezer um but i have heard them I think probably from watching a lot of VH1 in the early 2000s. That would make sense. <laughs> and, and, um, um, and playing uh, Guitar Hero. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm thinking, like, I'm I, when I was listening to the playlist, and now also as I'm doing a little bit of, like, going through some of the albums, being like, oh, no, I know that song, and I know that song, and I've heard that song, and not just because Jason has played it for me before. <laughs> like, I have a, a very innate, recognition of it in my head somehow um but i never like sought out weezer to listen to in any way that makes sense because you and i sort of came of age when weezer was no longer an alternative rock mainstay but a fixture of pop radio so can you tell me like do you want want me to lay out the like the sort of canonical like understanding of weezer yes Yes, I would like the canonical, yeah. so the, so the, 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 the widely accepted canon the of Weezer. The widely accepted opinion on Weezer is yeah. that they released the Blue Album in 1994 mm-hmm. and Pinkerton in 96, two albums that are unimpeachably great, mm-hmm. maybe of their time, but still good, still hold up, mm-hmm. and were like unique and interesting and good albums. And then they went away for about four years and came back, and they lost one of the original members of the band, okay. Matt Sharp, the original bassist. And when they came back, they were an empty shell of their former selves. Interesting. And they became pop sellouts, and they have produced increasingly embarrassing music since then. Hmm. Okay, I'm listening. And the music is either, like, you know, too poppy or empty or stupid or even, like, offensive and dumb. But no matter what it is, it's not what people want from Weezer. Hmm. That, I think, I'm going to argue that that, that that last statement is a more an indictment of Humanity, then, perhaps. Then Weezer. Then we are we are Weezers ourselves, basically, is what I'm getting at here. Okay. Uh, Weezer is a band. Weezer is a band. Weezer is a band. <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, but I think any, even people who are very anti the later stuff, which at this point, you know, 
We just, we just in that weird Simpsons place yeah. where I mean I think the Simpsons is actual garbage now, mm-hmm. but where where Weezer's like later period actually is now like there's far more of that content than there ever was of the quote unquote good stuff. So is Pinkerton widely accepted as Weezer's best album or is their first Weezer album? Uh, I think that sort of is going to depend on the person. Mm-hmm. Pinkerton is probably going to be remembered to people as their more important album because it was like the challenging one. Because I know like half the songs on the Blue Album. Yeah, the thing is, their first <laughs> album, the Blue Album, aka Weezer. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this goes without saying, but all their self-titled albums are just named after the color of the yeah. cover of the album. The Blue Album was sort of like you know, it's kind of the, the people's memory of it anyway. It's like it's yeah. sort of like poppy and sunny and like very very geeky, openly sort of yeah. nerdy and kind of weird. But it's ultimately sort of you know a album written by. I don't know apparently like a like a celibate teenager or four teenagers who have never had sex <laughs> whereas the first song in pinkerton is tired of sex written by a rock star in his late 20s who was like having so much sex he's actually he hates it so here's and then and the and then the, the sound world of pinkerton is so much like darker and more abrasive for the most part yeah and it's just a little bit like it sounds rougher and not not grungy but like yeah you know like just sort of grungier and kind of like darker here's what i'm getting and i think i'm probably getting a little bit of your opinion into this obviously because no everything i've said so far has been absolute facts and everything i say after this will be absolute facts (laughs) is 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 my vessel for learning about weezer (laughs) um it seems like people are uncomfortable with bands not writing serious music and that is an upsetting thing to think about for me Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I think you are not wrong. <laughs> I think people maybe um, undervalue that Weezer originally was a pretty silly band. Right. Well, I don't think they even undervalue that because like their first, I don't know, one of their first big hits, Buddy Holly. Yeah. That song in a video was it's what very really silly. put them on the map. It's a, it's a silly song with silly lyrics and a silly melody. And the video is in, very silly. It's that Spike Jones video where mm-hmm. they're playing in the uh, Arthur's restaurant from Happy Days. Mm-hmm. It's a very silly, goofy concept all around, but something about the quality of that music and like the type of music it was compared to like the sound that they're going for nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not it's not just people who were like looking back on their younger days when they were first discovering music and found these you know two albums and sort of were blown away by them in the nineties. It's also like it's it's the whole the old the old rockism debate. Like people hear you know songs that are more traditionally rock oriented more mm-hmm. based around electric or acoustic guitars mm-hmm. they're less quote-unquote overproduced and they just <laughs> sound more authentic to them um there's also the thing where rivers cuomo is like he's a he's a deeply weird dude he is <laughs> for a guy who has produced some of like and yeah I, I will say there's some very bland albums in the in the mid-2000s mm-hmm. and like some pretty generic sounding music in that time period mm-hmm. Uh, and for a guy who's fronts such, such a seemingly like harmless and dorky band, he is a deeply weird man. Apparently, rightly so. You, you can, based you, on you, his upbringing, you can hear that in his, in some of his music, but yeah. for the, most mostly in Pinkerton, sort of seeps out a little bit. Yeah. But since then, he sort of tried to largely keep it contained. Yeah. To sometimes good effect, and sometimes it doesn't quite work for him. Right. But yeah, you know, we we so we were just reading about this. He grew up on an ashram. Yeah. In Connecticut, uh, he was his parents were. At least his mother was a, I don't know if hippie is the right word, but really into like, they were like, New he was age. raised like in a, in a comp- compound essentially yeah. run by a famous yogi. Yeah. And so they, he was exposed to, you know, not, not, I'm not, I'm not saying these are strange ideas because to yeah. many parts of the world, they would not be strange, but yeah. they're out of, you know, they're, they're not the normal context for like a white suburban looking like upper middle class white guy. Yeah. And he's, I guess he would technically be in that class, mm-hmm. but he did not grow up in the actual suburbs. He grew up in a very unique environment yeah for someone like him yeah so that that like idea that rockism i hate i feel like we talked about this on an early episode probably i don't remember which one but i just i don't like that idea that music can't be like something joyous you know and it can't be silly and it can't be fun and it can't be something that makes you happy because i feel like the first weezer album or like thinking about weezer that i weezer albums weezer songs that i know and i enjoy like, it really gives me sort of, like, a proto-Vampire Weekend feeling. Like, mm-hmm. um, sort of, like, 
not beachy, but like, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah? Um, Light and kind of breezy. Yeah. Like yeah. a breezy, like a breezy. Like I think one of the Weezer songs I kn- I've known for a long time is Island in the Sun, yeah. which is kind of a, a, has sort of a sad tone, but it's a, kind of about a happy thing. <laughs> um. <laughs> Rivers Cuomo, this is another fascinating thing about yeah. him. He is a man who for a lot of his career wants to, has wanted to write just sort of very like generic pop songs, but he has such a unique voice and a very sad voice. Yeah. There's nothing really sad about the lyrics or even the melody of Island in the Sun. It's supposed to think I'd be like, be like, you know, relaxed and laid back. But it sounds, yeah, but you're right because of the tone of his voice. It sounds <laughs> vaguely mournful. Yeah. Um, which I would say plays to the song's strength because it's sort of a, like a wistful, bittersweet idea of a place that can never really be. I totally agree. Yeah. Um, Not on my playlist, by the way. I, I did make a playlist for this episode. No, you, you did listener, make a playlist. I, dear I was listener. just thinking about the Weezer, that, the Weezer songs that I know and that one... I think was on the green album if I remember like seeing it. Um, and it was like that came out when I was in like middle school, like when I was getting into like music as a person, the early 2000s when I was watching a lot of VH1. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you and I would have been watching VH1 presumably at the same time, late, yes. night, late night and night, early mornings. Yes. <laughs> uh, during their, their, their like mid 2000s run. Of, yeah. Um, the green album, which had, Island in the Sun and Hashpipe both were pretty big songs. Yeah. Uh, Maladroit, which had Keep Fishing, which is kind of a not a huge song, but had the video with the Muppets, so we all saw that. Yeah. And of course, um, Make Believe, which had Beverly Hills. Yeah. Which, sorry to say, is is maybe the song that's going to define their career in a you know in perpetuity. I feel like Buddy Holly is a much more like that's the song I think of when I think of Weezer. Is Buddy mm. Holly? Is Perfect Situation, a song that was a... That's hit. make-believe, 2005. Okay. Well, I have the track list, and I'm like, is that a song that I would know? Yeah. Like, it there, was, it came it, out. It was, yeah. it was in rotation of VH1, let's say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, like, I know that one. That was an okay song. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I feel like stuff on make-believe, like, I've heard. And maybe that's just because of the time it came out. Yeah, again, this is, like, yeah. a time you, you and I would have um, both been watching, getting our music from basically the same place. Yeah. VH1 Jumpstart. Yeah, VH1 Jumpstart. <laughs> R.I.P. RIP VH1 Jumpstart. RIP music on VH1. <laughs> See you at the crossroads, old friend. Um, but yeah, so I... Um, do you want to talk about the playlist? How yeah, do you wanna, so we... This? So as, as is our custom with these music episodes, mm-hmm. I made a playlist for Kelsey. I narrowed, we've, we've got... We're, our rule now is we narrow it down to one song per album. Or no, no, that's not your rule. We, 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 we narrow it to under 15 songs. We try to keep it... Compact. Yeah, under 15 songs. There was a time during like the Randy Newman uh, yeah. incident where I put on like 30 songs. I have also row. done that, so. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, <laughs> guilty as charged. Yeah. Uh, so I have picked so one. So if, if there's only like four albums, you can do three songs yes. from each album, but there's like 11 albums. Yes. I, I, have, I have picked one song from each each album. What I was trying to do, this is a tricky, this is a tricky playlist for me because I wanted to both argue for my alternative history of Weezer. Sure. Uh, and also present to you a compelling list of songs yeah. that would maybe make you like them. Yeah. So I think... I feel like for your, as per your alternative history theory, you succeeded. Okay, good. <laughs> because as I was telling you earlier, I, I picked my top three songs mm-hmm. off this, this playlist of, I think, 14 or 15 songs. Yes. Um, and one of them was from the first album. One of them was from the most recent album. And one of them was from the very middle. <laughs> so what are Kelsey's top three? My top three Stay songs. Tuned Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> um, Number one from 1994 is the blue album, Surf Wax America. This is their kind of goofy, again, kind of sad song about being a surfer, bro. It feels like very like... Like, lyrically, it's very, like, Beach Boys pastiche, and I yeah. love that. But, like, musically, it's, like, something else. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I also love that. It has, like, a 90s alternative, more of a power pop, a little bit of a surf rock vibe. Not a lot. A lot of that's just in, in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. There's a great uh, vocal, like, semi-acapella breakdown on the bridge, which is just always delights me. Lyrically, see, I could have gone with Buddy Holly for this, but I don't love that song. Yeah. But this song also, like... Is you know, the seas rolling like a thousand pound keg. Yeah, it is. It is silly. Um, a lot of the things people don't like about the Weezer nowadays is the lyrics. They often say they sound I don't know, facile, immature, immature stupid. But going back to their first album, the one that people generally agree is unimpeachably good. You know, Buddy Holly opens with a lot of like really 
awkwardly appropriated hip hop slang. And people love that song. And again, uh, uh, Surfax America, not quite on that level, but still is a song with a lot of like pretty silly lyrics. But it's not a joke though. Like it's not. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. It's like TC Tuggers. <laughs> TC Tops. Not a joke. It's not a joke. It really, I, I, I would be hard pressed to say what this song is about aside from going surfing. Well, it's like, I don't think that you have to have like crazy complex lyrics if you're doing things that are musically interesting or vocally interesting. Part of it, I don't, I do not get mad at people who don't like Weezer anymore. It's a, that'd be a ridiculous thing for me to spend my time getting mad about. It'd be a shitty hill to I'm die not on. say I wouldn't do it, but it's not a thing I do anymore. Yeah. But if, if people, you know, if you can't I, win. No, you can't win. <laughs> but I think one thing people would point to is that the, you know, the, the lyrics sound dumb now, but they always sounded dumb. Yeah. But I think people are aware of that. It just feels different for him to be a 24-year-old writing for teenagers than to be a 49-year-old writing for possibly still teenagers. Who listens to people, Weezer now? <laughs> I honestly don't know. I was at a Weezer concert last summer. I could not tell you what the makeup of the crowd was. It was a well, because it was a Weezer Pixies show. Yeah, I went, I went with Morgan, a friend of the podcast, yeah. former guest, future guest. So the crowd was kind of split between two different kinds of like '90s alt rock nostalgists. But I don't know what their target audience is anymore. Even honestly, people I assume people who just keep getting disappointed by Weezer because <laughs> they're not they're not really a big pop band anymore. They've, they've not really produced a big big single in many years. Anyway, but, but my my point is, uh, you know, people are I would say upset at Re- Weezer and Rivers Cuomo particularly because he's still kind of doing the same thing he was back then, but it just doesn't hit people's ears in the same way now. See, like I feel like a lot of times if you change too much, then fans get mad, right? And like what I liked about this is like there is a musical through line mm-hmm. in this, and for a little bit. In the middle, I'm like, these songs all sound the same. <laughs> yeah. But then you hit a song that doesn't sound the same. You're like, oh, this is interesting, but it doesn't sound so different from those songs that it doesn't sound like Weezer. Yeah. I think I was... You honestly, can't win. He can't I, win. I was, I, Rivers can't, can't win. <laughs> he can't win. The, the, there, there was nothing... Honestly, there was nothing he could do that would make these people like his music again. Because he doesn't want to make another Blue album. No. I think if he wanted to, he probably... Could have. We would have seen him try, though. Yeah. He hasn't even tried to do it. Yeah. He, he, they haven't done an album that's like, oh, we're doing, we're trying to recapture 90s alt-rock sound. Even uh, Everything Will Be Alright in the End, it wasn't that much that. And that was like the, their big return to form album at that at the time, which we'll get to that album. <laughs> anyway, enough about Surfax America. Great song. Um, I have no idea how it plays if you're going out surfing with your boys, because I've never gone surfing. So can't say for sure, but sounds great to my ears. Never have, never will. Number two, off of Pinkerton from 1996, it's El Scorcho. It was okay. Just okay. Not to be be rude, but El Scorcho is a great song. It was good. From Pinkerton. The thing is, I, I chose this one. You would not... The first half of Pinkerton is really i don't want to say it's just noise but it's very noisy yeah this was a song uh, this is this is a song the song is not that dissimilar from the things on the blue album it's a little bit uh, it's actually even goofier honestly but there's a the, the, the lyrics are a little bit more complex but they're still loaded with cultural references that only i think scan is not embarrassing to us now because we're not part of that era Although I guess people didn't mind him at the time, but what do you, you know, mean? like watching grunge leg drop New Jack through a pe- press table. If he if he made that if he made that song now, that lyric would be something like, uh, "Watching cloud rap, pile drive, uh, Justin Bieber, something like that." Like <laughs> yeah. it would be that level of like, it would feel very on the nose and weird. But El Scorcho is a great song with a great chorus. It's got that really cool like weird sounding guitar part throughout the. The verses, but it's kind of, you know, the uh, the other, yeah. I'm gonna say most of the rest of El- of uh, Pinkerton sounds a lot, a lot lot darker than this. I don't know. He he supposedly was like he was not you know good mental place when he wrote this. He was very stressed out from you know having become a rock star overnight when he did not have when he clearly did not have the constitution to be a classic rock star. Yeah. He was tired of sex. Uh, you know, he was gonna get you. He was wondering why bother. And he also like he was he he injured his leg. No, he, his his legs were 
he had that thing where his legs were a little bit shorter, like one was a little bit shorter than the other one. Yeah. And he had that corrected, which is a yeah. very painful surgery. Yeah. So he was like laid up and like couldn't really move that well when he was mm-hmm. writing this album. So he was on a lot of pain medication and he like had to work the guitar differently because he literally couldn't hit the same frets he always used to be able to hit. Interesting. So it sounds different. You can like, I think maybe it's just, you know, sort of a association thing. Like we just, we're, I'm, I'm imposing this on the sound because of what I know about how it was made. But it does sound like, a lot of this album sounds very frustrated. Like a guy who was really not handling things well. He's very overwhelmed physically and mentally. River's going through some shit. He's going through some shit. And it, it's, it's, it is, because of that, it's maybe the, least overtly poppy album he's made which is probably why a certain group of fans like flocks around it people who are sort of you know anti-pop and every in all things which is wrong which is wrong but also we, we, we are we are on that side of that argument yes we are, we, we are, like pop music here we do we love <laughs> folks we love it we love it uh it's garbage but so is everything else bring back the 40 amps bring back the 40 amps <laughs> oh wait that's me yeah i can't say that, that that's my podcast uh r.i.p r.i.p but I, El Scorcho, what I think make, make, makes me love it so much is it is a good pop song with a unique 90s alt-rock style. There's not a lot of songs that like sound like El Scorcho, and I don't know that there were... There, there were more back then, certainly. There were more songs that had that sort of weird, twangy, white boy guitar music. <laughs> but it has that cool little sing-along with like the guitar solo. The car, guitar solo is like... Guitar solo by a guy who can't move his arms right, so it's a very sort of like almost lazy but yeah. still fun. It's a good song. Pinkerton, we could talk forever about this album, but I don't want to get mired down in this because you clearly don't care I, I about don't, Pinkerton. I don't care about Pinkerton. Pinkerton, the problem I think the real issue with Pinkerton is that if I'm actually going to find an issue with it, is that it is written by a 26 year old man, but sort of codify the language of emo rock, which is listened to mostly by 13 year old boys. <laughs> And girls. And girls. And girls. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be, you know, and I don't mean to be a gender essentialist here. But yeah. <laughs> um, that, I think, is maybe the actual only issue with it is that it is a, he's, he's already sort of, uh, um, the, the emotional maturity of the songs is already seems to be a little bit lower than you maybe would expect from someone his age. Do you think that the issue is maybe that Weezer kept sort of performing to the same audience that didn't grow with their original fan base they definitely did not i think part of the problem may be they've had enough like intermittent pop success yeah they've gained new fans which means they haven't had to like play back to their old fans like they've interesting been successful enough that they can keep putting out albums and not need to just like cater to their old fans like they've done like little mini tours where they played the blue album and pinkerton back to back but only like once ever when they're like, if they were in like, you know, a 70s classic rock band, that's all they would do now. Yeah. They would tour and they would play those two albums back to back. <laughs> so Pinkerton happened. Uh, Rivers Cuomo feels like, I don't know if he still feels, feels this way, but at the time he felt very sort of embarrassed and exposed by the album. I mean. Because it's sort of, he, he put a lot of himself out there in these, some of these songs in a very way that is not unflattering, but well, actually it is pretty unflattering now that I think about it. Because he took a, we, now we don't need to get into this discourse. Uh <laughs> If you, for the listener at home, if you know the story of Across the Sea, imagine me putting that discourse in here right now, and I'm, I'm aware of it. It's gross. Don't worry about it. We can... I, you can tell me later. I'll tell uh, you later. I have a question. Yes. Why is it called Pinkerton? Uh, it's called Pinkerton as a reference to the opera Madame Butterfly, because the main character of... Or there's... there's the, I don't know if it's the main character. The there's character in Madame Butterfly is B.F. Pinkerton. Okay. Um, and that that... That opera, to my understanding of it, is basically somewhat about a man, a white man who is enchanted by the culture of Japan. That is correct. And this album also is in parts about a young white man who is enchanted by the culture of at least a Japanese woman. Yeah. Uh, Rivers Kumo is a one of those. He's one of those white guys. He's one of those white guys. <laughs> uh, he, 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 I mean, he married a Japanese woman. I mean, he. Yeah, he's one of those guys. And I mean, I'll just say it. Across the Sea is based on a, a fan letter he got from a 16-year-old girl. Now, he changed it in the song to be about an 18-year-old girl. <laughs> doesn't make it better. Uh, it's, it's, it's very... The song is He's very... He's 26. It's very sexual. Ooh. He's not... I don't want... I'm not going to defend it, but it, it, is, it is weird. It has not aged well at all. No. And it's a weird song. So he was perhaps rightly embarrassed by the song. He was also... Or by, by the album. He was also... 
I think, disappointed by it because it was originally meant to be a concept album called Songs from the Black Hole, Interesting. which was a sort of like sci-fi rock opera inspired by his life on tour. Uh, but it became this, and I think he was sort of frustrated by that aspect of it. So yeah, so they took they went away for five years. And in that time, Matt Sharp left the band, replaced by Mikey Welsh. Uh, rest in peace. He has actually passed on a few years ago, actually. But they came back, all four of these boys, in 2001 with The Green Album, featuring the third song on my playlist. Crab. Crab. I like this one. Crab, yeah, Crab's a dumb song. It's a dumb song. It's dumb. I love a dumb song. Oh, you like I love a dumb <laughs> you song. You gotta love a dumb song. <laughs> I picked Crab because, you know, I could have picked something like Island in the Sun, which I think is maybe the purest, best song on the album. It's just a very nice song. It sort yeah. of exists separate from everything around it. Mm-hmm. I could have picked Hash Pipe because that was sort of the big single. It's like very sort it's of... It's very Weezer. It's very aggressive and sort of like what people might think of as Weezer at that time. Yeah. But it's also kind of dumb. The lyrics, I don't know if they're overtly transphobic but it is it's playing in an area i think you would probably not want to dip into now i i think it's weird because i think weezer fans have this idea of weezer that is like this pinkerton this dark this very grungy yeah thing whereas like when i think of weezer i think of like buddy holly and island in the sun and beverly hills and like fun stuff that's part of the thing because i think <laughs> a lot of people a lot of the most casual fans have that or not, yeah. not even necessarily the casual in a bad way just like yeah. because because that's Pink- how they entered when pinkerton came out people hated it yeah people hated it and because, now the, there's like purist fans yeah. who are like it's the best album ever and then in the five years between pinkerton and the green album people rediscovered it yeah. but i think rivers was maybe not aware that that was happening <laughs> because he so this is my favorite turn in the in the rivers kumo story because in the time he was writing the green album mm-hmm. he would like he talked about this on an episode of uh, Mark Maron's podcast a few years ago. He would, like, lock himself in his apartment for, like, days on end and, like, try to, like... He was trying to, like, basically scientifically quantify how to write the perfect pop song. He was trying to, like, break down the elements like it was a math problem and, like, a formula and rearrange it. He could, he could just, like, write the most perfect pop song in the world. Interesting. Which is... A, which is... It probably doesn't need to be said. A wacky thing to do. A truly uh, a mentally unhinged pursuit. <laughs> Uh, which is, and then he sort of, which is, and then he, he took that, like, sort of, like, conspiracy theorist, like, evidence dungeon madman energy and produced, like, ten pretty samey sounding songs. Yeah. They all really blur together. There's a lot of, like, um, I think, yeah, Rico Kasich also produced this one, but it really feels more like it's Rivers driving the process more because, like, all the harmonies are him, whereas it used to be Matt Sharp and Brian Bell would do harmonies. It's all on this album. It's all him harmonizing with himself. The songs are all kind of at the same, not the same tempo, but they're sort of the same energy. Like as on on on, uh, on Pinkerton, he was screaming a lot. Oh. On this, he's very he's very subdued. He's almost like medicated. He said he sounds not. He does not sound passionate. Because like to me, that's the Weezer sound. Right. They're sort of dulled. Yeah, his, his vocals <laughs> on Blue are kind of like a little bit duller. Yeah. But I think there's just more. People found them more charming than they did in the Green Album. Yeah. The Green Album did did pretty well. I mean, I like I said, I think the Green Album is like the one I know stuff yeah. from. Well, that was like <laughs> people were still yeah, people, the sort of the narrative now is like the Green Album came out and everyone was like, "What happened to Weezer?" But at the time, I think people were mostly okay with it. Yeah, it wasn't as good as the first two albums, but it wasn't. It was still kind of in that world, mm-hmm. and it was like, "Oh, they were off away for five years. Maybe this is just their getting like, back on their for feet." Me, I guess, like, I mean, you only gave me one song off Pinkerton, so I don't know how, like, big the shift was necessarily. But to me, like, the sound doesn't change so much that, like, it feels like people should be mad about I, it. I picked the song on Pinkerton that would best, like, take us from Blue Album into Green Album. Okay. The one I picked is not... Really the... D- broadly speaking, the first half of Pinkerton is very, like, aggressive and heavy. Yeah. For Weezer. Yeah. And the second half is a little bit more, li- a little bit lighter. It just, it doesn't feel like people should, the, I feel like the sound hasn't changed so much that people should be angry. It's, I will say, listen to all of uh, of Pinkerton, it is kind of weird to think that people would be mad at it. Yeah. Well, no, if you listen to like the way Blue sounds and like, and the way the first two songs on Pinkerton sound, yeah. it's easy to imagine someone being like, what the fuck happened? Yeah, but I just don't understand why people are mad. If, if they were mad when it, oh, it just doesn't make any sense. It, you know, he really, they really You're right, win. Jason, Jason, you're right. Thank you. It's all, it's all facts in this podcast. Really quickly, Crab is a nonsense song. It is sort of vaguely a breakup song, but the lyrics are all, again, just nonsense. 
crab at the booty. Taint's gonna do no good. What? <laughs> but, it's, but it's got a nice, like, the post verse has this really cool, like, back and forth of the vocals with the O's. And then even, like, the one of the biggest knocks against Green Album is it's because it, it, it feels lazy in some way, which is nuts because it was, like, you know, like, like I said, the most meticulously, like, written album of all time, maybe. <laughs> but all of the guitar solos, every single song, the guitar solo is just the vocal melody. Interesting. But what I like about Crab is they do that same sort of trick. And, but they still harmonize, the vocals still harmonize with the guitar part as if they were the vocals. Interesting. It's kind of just a cool little effect. And the song is is a little bit, it's a little bit heavier than what's on what was on Pinkerton, the song I picked for you anyway, yeah. than El Scorcho. It's a little bit more aggressive, which brings us well into 2002's Maladroits. The first album with Scott Schreiner on the bass. And now these are the, the band that we know today is now assembled. Okay. We've got Rivers, we've got Scott, we've got Pat Wilson on the drums, and we've got Brian Bell on guitar and backing vocals. Um, so that's three of the original members, and then Scott, who is now essentially, at this point, you know, basically an original so member. So the guy who came in after the one guy left? Yeah. Is gone now. We're not, we're not, they're not on the third bassist. Okay. But don't worry, it's never going to matter again. Okay, cool. So Maladroit came out like a year after Green Album. Had, had again, a couple of pretty good singles. Um, sold decently. Uh, now Nowadays, sounds really weird because this is really like their aggressive faux metal album. Interesting. And Rivers Cuomo has had a long fascination with, he was in like a glam rock, like glam metal band in high school. Nice. <laughs> so he has a, like a love of this kind of like heavier, heavier music. And like, you can hear that sound like from the beginning, like their guitar parts are like, I don't know enough of music to really describe this in any detail, but <laughs> they sound loud and like aggressive. Sure. They're sort of like, like I once heard them described as buzzsaw guitars. And this really leans into that part of their sound aggressively. And so I picked Slob, which is a very sort of almost droning, almost like a sludge, sludgy metal song. It's Again, the lyrics are very sort of, they're kind of opaque. They seem, the sort of almost like childish fixation on beer kind of harkens back to the Blue Album. But it clearly, again, is written by someone who is, you know, sort of processing something, is a, not in a good place. Um, but the, the thing is, the rest of the album doesn't sound like that, so it doesn't feel as like sort of raw and emotional as Pinkerton does. But did you have any feelings about Slop? Not really. This was like kind of where things started to blur together for me. Yeah. Um, and again, that's... Uh, with, that, with one exception. But, that, that's um, at the fault of me maybe trying to, again, provide a continuity. Yeah. Which I surprised like, myself with how much I could actually find that continuity there. But like also, I appreciated the continuity. The next song is from 2005 is Make Believe. Nice. Possibly their... I don't want to say it's their worst album. I wouldn't say that. I probably would say that actually. No, What's on that album? There's so, a, there's songs on that album. Make believe has Beverly Hills is the big yeah. thing. Beverly Hills, uh, perfect situation. Yeah. Uh, we are all on drugs, which is a bad song. That's a bad song. <laughs> I don't Rivers. think I know that one. Don't worry about it. Uh, the weird thing is, this is definitely their cheesiest album. Yeah. Produced by Rick Rubin. Who's that? He's Rick Rubin. He produced the. Uh, he's, he did the Johnny Cash American albums. Oh. He more perhaps more prominently is like part of the reason why hip hop is a popular form of music he was really involved in like def jam uh the beastie boys he ll cool j i think he did work with run dmc i don't want to say that for sure right off the top of my head though but he was like a, a very like he was just, he's a very fascinating character and we could get into him some other time but he's mm -hmm. a he was he's like a very sort of he has a lot of cultural cred so the fact that he produced this very again very sold very well because of beverly hills but it's a very cheesy album and you can hear that in the song that i picked which is this is such a pity this is the one that sounds like at the beginning it sounds like a fake cars song and then the guitar solo sounds like top gun <laughs> not a song from top gun just the idea of like two jets flying in the sky it sounds like that as shot by uh, tony scott rest in peace oh love it i think i liked this one yeah it's a it's a fine song it is again it's it's kind of funny that like this song was not produced by Rick Ocasek because he is the, you know, the lead singer of The Cars and he produced <laughs> some of their albums. Anyway, I'm getting off track. It's a fun song about domestic strife. You know. And having just crazy shouting matches with your partner. But it's a fun song. It's, it's, a got, fun it's song. got a fun 80s jam feel. Next album was 2008's The Red, the Red album. album. And this is where I joined the story. Where you join the story? Well, not the story of Weezer. That that would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but but this is when, as I told you, um, 
Morgan, friend of the pod, mm-hmm. was really obsessed with this album for the, 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 for this entire summer. When I listen to this album, all I hear is like summer 2008, which was a not really a time anyone would want to go back to. How was it? Summer after graduation. First, that was for me first summer after freshman year of college. That was a good summer for me because it was like the only summer I didn't have a job. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish I had had a job. It would have been saved me from just sitting around my house being miserable. But Actually, I might have had a job that summer. I did have a job that summer. <laughs> this, this album, interestingly, um, the, the, so the song I picked is not Pork and Beans, but Pork right. and Beans was the big singer from this album. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the main times that people thought, hey, we just going back to their classic sound. Pork and Beans, you might remember, had the famous video where they played all, they had all the um, YouTube 1.0 stars on it. I don't know if I've heard this song. Or I definitely have heard this song, but I just I have played don't this know video for you. Yes. Yes, because when we're talking about YouTube 1.0. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, if, you, if, if you ever want to just take a stroll down memory lane, do watch this video because it is, whew, it is, it is so pandering and yet it, it, kind of works it kind of felt that way at the time too oh yeah no i know the song it was cheesy but it you sort of liked it because you hey because the idea of like youtube culture being like a thing that someone from like mainstream culture like accepted and embraced was so outside of our realm of thinking in 2008 youtube culture didn't even exist in 2008 not the way we know now anyway right the song i picked was the greatest man that ever lived parentheses variations on a shaker hymn and i feel like when we were listening to this the first time, Sarah really wanted me to understand what was happening. Oh, she said, she, she said, Kelsey, you will, will know what it's doing. Yes, and I did. Yeah. I'm glad you did, because I had no idea what she was talking about when I she said that. I had to sing that song in, in elementary school. The Shaker Hymn itself. Yes. See, I didn't it's know a, that. Tis a gift to be simple. Oh, d- tis it. Tis it. Tis a gift. Shakers. Tis it. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a... I'm glad that Sarah knew that, the, like understood that i would know that (laughs) i did not know that still don't really know it but i believe you yeah no and i understood what it was doing and i liked it because of it it's good it is a song that again is is based around symbol gifts the song but it is a yeah they have it's a 11 different songs crammed in one based on that one piano melody Mm -hmm. and it's really if you think it's cheesy or kind of dumb fine but it's impressive because they really move through 11 distinct styles and I, honestly, I'm more impressed now than I was at the time because now I listen to it and I hear, oh, I can hear what this band is. Like this part is Queen. This mm-hmm. part is, you know, maybe early Eagles. Mm-hmm. This part is a, is punk. This part is Weezer. Yeah. Like it's really interesting to sort of try you to. You can you can hear it sort of build and shift and and. Because it's funny because the 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 um. By the way, Rick, that, Ru- Rick that, Rubin produced this song. He did not produce the entire album, but he produced this this song, which sort of explains why it especially really nails that early like mid-80s rap sound in yeah. the early going. The, the melody itself sort of goes up and down and builds like da-da-da-da-da. And, like, and you can hear that in kind of like the, the music. The progression of the types of music also kind of does that. Yeah. And it, it's really good. It's really impressive. It's a good song. It's another song with sort of like <laughs> nonsense, goofy lyrics that's just meant to be... But it's meant to be fun and impressive based on what they do with the music. And I think it works. Same. I think... Now, honestly... You, me and me and Morgan are maybe the only two people who will go hard for the Red album, even though we both know it's kind of bad in some ways. Is it? The thing about the Red album, aside from the fact that it has heart songs on it, a song that people hated when it came out, that me and Morgan did not mind at all, <laughs> uh, is that there are three tracks in the album that are not sung by Rivers Cuomo. Interesting. Uh, there's the, the the because he basically let the other members of the band sing a song each good for him <laughs> yeah brian bell does a song scott schreiner does a song patrick wilson does a song patrick wilson's song actually sounds the most like a song you would hear in the world it's like <laughs> just a sort of you know like adult alternative rock song from like the mid-2000s brian's song is kind of sounds bad <laughs> they went with i, I don't i'm sorry i don't want to get bogged down in this i know so much about weezer and like i can go into like the alternate versions of this song and yeah. like how Brian's song sounds good on the uh, live version, but the album version sounds really weird and produced. But we should probably move on. Well, we'll move on. Same, same to be said. Uh, Jason no one, likes the Red Album. No one else has no one else has thought about the Red Album more than me, except Morgan. <laughs> except for Morgan. Yeah, I'm maybe number two actually. Morgan's <laughs> probably number one on that. <laughs> the next album was Ratitude. And this is when everyone who thought that Weezer was going back to the old Weezer was like, no, nope. was like, oh nope, not so much. So this this is this is truly their this is their pop sellout album. Okay. This is the only but like moment, on purpose. 
Yes. They would, like, like they're like, we're going to make a pop sellout album because that's yeah. what it sounds like. We're going to sell out <laughs> as hard as we possibly can. Like as, as a performance aspect. <laughs> they wrote a song with Jermaine Dupri for this album. That song, Can't Stop Partying, featuring Lil Wayne. I can't stop. And that's my song from this, for this, that's my song for the playlist. What do you think about this song, Kelsey? Honestly, kind of catchy. Good song. I, I swear I've heard it before. I believe you. I don't mm-hmm. believe you, but I will accept that you think it's true. I swear I've heard it before. <laughs> Can't Stop Partying is a pretty simple simple joke. It's a, again, it makes use of Rufus Crumo's very sad voice. It is a song that is written by Jermaine Dupri, who was sort of the, you know, a very major fixture in like mid-2000s rap and R&B. Like we're, there's an alternate universe where we're living in where he's the big name Pharrell figure instead mm-hmm. of Pharrell. Like he's the one that did the Despicable Me soundtrack. Um, and he just he just sort of wrote this sort of very sort of classically Jermaine Dupri verse about partying because like apparently Jermaine Dupri approached Rivers Cuomo and was like hey man you know rock and roll music rap music they both make songs about partying and having a good time let's work together huh. and and somehow produce this these, these lyrics that Rivers Cuomo like has, has, has rhapsodized about before and he talks about how he tried to write his own second verse but couldn't do it because he didn't know how to do it because he just wasn't good enough for that sort of thing um, but then Rivers Cuomo took it and made it into this very put it on this very mournful melody. <laughs> and so it's, it's transformed from a sort of celebration of partying into, it's still sort of a celebration of partying because it's so catchy mm-hmm. and, and the lyrics are so like, I don't know, classic, just part of a good, have a good time party music vibe. But the, but the melody and the music, it all sounds so horribly depressing. Mm. Like the guy who's like going through this party lifestyle just hates himself. And as a, a Lil Wayne verse from the point when he sort of stopped being interesting. You know what I want? Mike Posner cover of Can't Stop Partying. Really? I think the vibe want? is the same as I Took a Pill and a Pizza. Oh, definitely. It's a very, very similar vibe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I think part of the joy of Can't Stop Partying is that it was written by someone who probably did not intend for it to be sad. Ah, uh, interesting. Right? <laughs> but um, it is sad. It is very sad, but it's also very catchy. Anyway, moving on. Don't listen to Ratitude. Moving on to an album that I. So we were. We were at the, this 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 concert this last summer. Me and Morgan, we were we were sort of we ran into these two women who were there as like you know by, probably around our age, both apparently huge Weezer fans, much bigger than us. They've been on the Weezer cruise multiple times. There's a yes, Weezer there's cruise? a Weezer cruise. Or I don't know if they still do it, but they did for many years. Wow. And they asked me what my favorite album was. And I honestly, because my, you know, I also, I think about Weezer as like a series of distinct songs more than I do albums, honestly. Yeah, and you, and there's so much, I assume in the Weezer fandom, that's a very loaded question. Yes. <laughs> but I, I mean, these people are obviously not going to judge me because they obviously listen to the new stuff because they yeah. were at a Weezer concert in 2018. Yeah. <laughs> and I had to sit back and realize that my favorite album based on like the way I feel about it and like the feelings it gives me and how I look back on that time in my life mm-hmm. is Hurley. <laughs> 2010's Hurley. 2010's Hurley. Which, okay. you know, this is album also they had a lot of, they had a lot of co-writers on these, on these songs. And the song I picked, Ruling Me, was co-written with the one, the only, our boy, Dan Wilson. Dan Wilson. Danny Dubs. Back we at it again. Dan we love Dan Wilson. All the D Dubs. Uh, I honestly, I mostly picked "Ruling Me," "Ruling Me" because it is co-written by Dan Wilson, <laughs> and I was legally obliged to, yeah. as per the terms of our contract. I feel like if we ever like get big, we need to get Dan Wilson on the oh, show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Dan, come on the show. Come on the show, Dan. Come on we the love show. your work. We could play this part like on the previously on yeah. for the episode he's on. <laughs> Ruling me, not a lot to say. There's about like it. a montage of all the it's... times we say Dan Wilson's name. Dan Wilson. Dan, Dan Wilson. And Dan Wilson wrote that. Dan Wilson. <laughs> oh, it's Dan Wilson. Dan Wilson. Um, this song, good. It's very driving, very fast, very mm-hmm. sort of catchy melody. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's Dan Wilson with a great, great like harmony vocal on the chorus yeah. that really elevates it to me. Yeah, I feel like this was one of the few songs that like didn't feel sad. Yeah, this song is really this song really is actually explicitly about looking back on being in high school and sort of is I know it's pitched like it's but it's written from the point of view of someone who's still in high school, but it doesn't sound creepy or weird. Which there are times when Rivers Cuomo has sort of inhabited that that persona and it's weird. Deeply weird. 
um see ratitude but on ruining me it kind of feels like nostalgic and sweet almost it helps because the first song on hurley is called memories which is explicitly about looking back on your younger life um so what's the memory so it it, it sets a, it sets a pretty good tone but I just like Ruling Me. I think it's a fun, catchy song with like a nice vocal performance from Rivers. I mean, I love that they named an album after a character on Lost. This is when <laughs> Weezer's thing kind of became like... What are they going to do? They kind of... Yeah, well, they, they did a song for Yo Gabba Gabba back when that was kind of so pretty novel. That song is on this album, by the way. It's called All My Friends Are Insects. This is That's when they great. were Yeah, they were, they were having the Weezer, Weezer cruise. He was writing songs with people on YouTube. Yeah, of course. Like, it was a very weird time for... For Weezer. For Weezer. <laughs> um, They're and, finding their niche in the new pop culture and, landscape. And people, people criticize them for, you know, making, putting all this energy in, out. into, into well, putting all this energy into being weird and, like, unique and kind of, like, doing ex- ex- exciting things. Sounds out, fun. Outside of their music <laughs> and not putting that energy into their actual music. Um, I'm, I'm Fuck gonna, those people. <laughs> I'm going to say this, I think, part of plays into people's confusion about Rivers Cuomo, and I think the writer Chuck Klosterman has the ultimate take on this which is that the thing that people don't get about rivers Cuomo is that everything he says is ironic <laughs> but all of his songs are completely sincere okay like him as a person like you know Deeply i don't know ironic. i don't know how he got irony brain poisoning in the, in the 90s but he got it <laughs> earlier than the rest of us that's why he was on youtube so early he was yeah just like he had that, that he had so, that so quickly yeah so he if you ask him what a song is about he might give you a weird answer like, oh, this song is about a spider I killed one time and I felt really bad about it. And then you listen to this song and it's clearly about him meeting a fan and being uncomfortable about it and like flipping out on him, the fan for being rude but then feeling bad about being rude himself. Yeah. Like clearly the songs are, he doesn't know how to write songs that aren't about his, like there aren't like direct sincere things. Or like he can't contain his, in, his inner weirdness with like this, these sort of intense structures and pop like craftsmanship experiments he puts on himself 839 i know i could probably go off the top for these last few okay <laughs> next song on the on the list from 2014's everything will be all right in the end i've had it up to here good fucking song good song good song co-written with the guy from the darkness weird thing to do in 2014 when was the darkness 2004 yeah that long ago that's when i believe a thing called love came out wow maybe oh three it's a good song. I liked yeah. it a lot. This song is explicitly about Weezer trying to be a pop band and people not liking it. So they're saying, screw you all. We're going back to back to our roots. We're going back to the shack. And for this, shack? Album, for this album, <laughs> they kind of did. This is the most like alternative rock album they've put out in years. There's a song in here called Lonely Girl, which is like explicitly a throwback to a Green Album era Weezer. Um, the song itself has kind of a funky 70s feel, which, you know, the darkness, duh. Duh. <laughs> so there's, there's, again, there's, there, even though this is their their pitch back towards maybe their older fans, there's nothing here that's like they're not doing a whole album of like we're gonna get back to the music we used to make in the '90s. So you know, this is maybe their. It's a throwback, but not too much. It's kind of it's kind of a throwback, yeah, um, but not too much. And it has I've had it up to here, which even though they sort of as Weezer is want to do, immediately went back on this promise, like we're only gonna do real rock shit from now on mm-hmm. uh still is a fun song yeah. it still is like feels very defiant and like empowering in a, in a, in a weird way mm-hmm. uh moving on the next song was from 2016's the white album which i'm gonna say is not as good as this album but still pretty good the, the wait the white album is not as good as what is uh everything will be all right in the end okay mm-hmm. everything will be all right in the end again very much like came out of time for me when i was like yes thank you weezer is gonna do the thing that their people like them for again yeah i was very caught up in weezer being a band that people liked at this point in the weezer lore yeah i was very, I was very caught <laughs> in up the in, weezer fandom i was i was i was, I was very too, online i was in my feelings <laughs> the white album um i picked jacked up piano heavy you know i love a piano heavy pop song. oh yeah did you like this song i did honestly the more the more i'm thinking about it the more i'm realizing that i do like the later stuff better <laughs> see that's the thing because a song like jacked up could not have you would not hear that on the blue album because i like because i'm realizing that everything will be all right and then it's from 2014 yeah like it's it's actually pretty late yeah it's pretty pretty recent yeah 
it feels like because because time doesn't exist the same way it, it did when we were younger anymore. Yeah. 2014 feels like a thousand years ago right now. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually was not very long ago in no. actual years of time. Years of time. I mean, another thing I'm really impressed with is just Weezer's general album output. They're putting out a lot of albums. They have a lot of albums. That's why it's, it's <laughs> that's why I become okay with they. Oh, if they release an album like Pacific Daydream that I don't really like, yeah. I'm like, well, next album they'll probably be doing something totally different anyway. So. Just, just hold on, enjoy the ride. In six months. Yeah. So yeah, jacked up is a song that you know that's a whole new sound sound for them. It's like it's only it's like only really piano and drums and there. I mean, there's guitar and bass, but it's piano driven, mm-hmm. and it sounds great. It's sort of is it's very sad. And again, Rivers' voice is used to its like greatest effect. He really is stretching in the upper limits of his range in the song, which I really enjoy. It's very up, it's up here. Um, trivia, Rivers Kumo writes the uh, melodies for his songs on piano huh. so that he will like be challenged to do things that he wouldn't normally do if he was just singing. Huh. And he writes all, but he writes all of his guitar solos by vocalizing them because if you vocalize a guitar solo, his thinking is you'll be less likely to just fall into that sort of general, like he calls yeah, it wankery where yeah. you're just sort of like wailing on the guitar for no reason. Yeah. So he's a very, he has a very precise mind is this man. Yeah. He's going through a lot. He's going through. He's always going through a lot. He has. <laughs> he has. He has. He has kids. He has children. He has at least one child. I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if he has others, but he is. He's still married. Next song. We're get. We're closing in, folks. Three left. Three left from Pacific Daydream again. An album I do not like, for the most part. Mm-hmm. I think it's again. It's it's very, it's poppy in a way that I don't like. Mm-hmm. Like it's everything is sort of flattened down to one sort of generic sound, mm-hmm. but it's got Weekend Woman, mm-hmm. which is. Mostly just a retread of the previous album's Summer Lane and Drunk Dory. I feel like this song was pretty unmemorable to me. Yeah, I like it though. Yeah. It sort of sounds like a Sprite commercial, <laughs> but it gets kind of emotional towards the end. I feel like, you know, like there's those songs where you listen to like this sort of like alternative rock music and even and nowadays more like like folky pop music. You're like, this is in a commercial somewhere. Yeah. I've heard this in a commercial. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. This is this is the first album where it feels like they were making the songs for commercials. Yeah, well that's how you make the money. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> you can't make it selling music. You get in a Coke commercial? Come on. Mm. Or Sprite. <laughs> that's Coca Cola brand. Oh damn. <laughs> Owned again with logic we're, and reason. We're from the South. Everything's Coke. Come on. I included for some reason in this playlist uh, their cover of Happy Together because they dropped the Teal album this this year. I don't like it. I don't want to think about it, but it happened. And this yeah. is maybe the least um, upsetting cover on it. <laughs> is it all covers? It's all covers, yeah. Oh, okay. Because they did that cover of Africa oh. as, a, as a joke, basically. <laughs> no, definitely as a joke. And then it was so well received, they recorded an entire album of covers. Interesting. Some of them are okay, but mostly I just, you know, I wish... Like I feel when I listen to any covers oh, yeah, album. Yeah, I've definitely heard the I cover just want of to no hear, Scrubs. I just want to hear the original. I played you the cover of No Scrubs, Kelsey. Yeah. That's how you've heard it. Yeah, you're right. But I placed it for the official canonical list with Happy Together because Weezer doing their thing on a, on a Turtles song is basically what the first album is anyway. Yeah. It's basically the blue album sound in the first place. So and I, it doesn't sound so different from the original that you're angry at no. it. <laughs> it's not, you know, the white rock guy doing a, you know, rap song yeah. or whatever. Which is always thing. not a good look. Yeah, they don't do anything that explicitly bad on Teal. No Scrubs is pretty close, yeah. but No Scrubs is an R&B song. Yeah. There's not any rapping on this album, thankfully. They don't do the rap verse? Uh, No. It's hard, it's hard to actually get their version of that song with a rap verse on it. Yeah. Most karaoke versions don't have it. Interesting. Most, I like the rap verse. It's a it's good, good verse. Yeah, but you don't hear it that much. Left got bars. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give you something to think about. Okay, final song on the playlist is from this year again this year they released they had the black album set to release and then they and just then, did a bunch of then, covers then they did the teal album like four months in advance what are you doing guys rivers rivers slow down uh the black album an album i have not fully digested yet i don't think it has some good songs on it some good sounds um it's better than pacific daydream things are more distinct but i will say i think the best song is probably the one i put on the album here byzantine a song that is really just a, an acoustic guitar and a drum machine and with lyrics written apparently written the way Rivers Kuma describes it he was texting with Laura Jane Grace from Against Me and she just sent him this, these lyrics in a series of text messages <laughs> that's amazing which is I mean it's, it's so wild to me to imagine that happening in any sense the, uh-huh. fact, the fact that they're texting each other at all is weird to me <laughs> the fact that they're texting each other so much they've made a song out of it 
Like, were they writing the lyrics through texting, or was was it just was like, Laura just like saying these things to Weezer to, to Rivers? <laughs> Not Weezer. Weezer is the band. That's that's like Hootie and the Blowfish, you know. <laughs> he is Weezer. He's Weezer. He's he's the Weezer. He's the Weezer. Um, and that was where I finished us out because I feel like that song is very. I don't care what you think about Weezer. That song is good. That song's good. It's kind of... That song's ri- really the good. The lyrics, again, not written by Rivers Cuomo, but still yeah. they are sung by Rivers Cuomo or arranged and yeah. performed by Rivers Cuomo. And that, this, it's a good song. And you would not hear that song on the first two albums. And it's a good song. That song's going on my July playlist. Hell yeah. I did it. <laughs> you I did got it. One. You got one. I got one. You got one. So I, I feel like my argument sort of collapsed there at the end as I got us mired down in a bunch of Weezer minutia in the first half of the episode. <laughs> we knew it was going to happen. Yeah, I I, try, I really tried to hold back, honestly. Yeah. I tried to just be as concise as I could. Jason but... could have talked about Weezer for five straight hours. I'm God, fairly I could, sure. I could still be talking about him right now. <laughs> I still am, actually. Yeah. <laughs> maybe you should, Kelsey. Maybe I should. I should tell my opinions. Yes, please. Please. Um. Okay, so good playlist. I love the through line, even if it totally wasn't representative, wasn't totally representative of, of the actual sound change. Um, but I like to hear the sort of more subtle sound change than like the ones that are crazy. Mm. I think this is like, you should give this playlist to Weezer fans who are like, the old stuff is bad or the new stuff is bad. <laughs> like I was like, okay, listen to the old stuff and then lis- listen straight through to the new stuff. And it's the same. <laughs> it's good. There's continuity. The band does change and evolve. They just... They take some detours. Yeah. And that's just part of the joy of Weezer. Yeah. You never know what they're going to do next. Yeah. it's But there's always a, there is more of a consistent sound than I think even I realized when I was making this mix. Mm-hmm. So um, I enjoyed this and I totally agree with your apparent hot take. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, it should be the take. My top three songs. Kelsey's top three. Kelsey's top three. 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 Number three. Number three. Number three. Three. <laughs> three. Three. Uh, Surf Wax America, which is just a fun bop. Just a bop. Just a bop. It's a classic summer jam. It really is. Love it. Uh, number two was Byzantine, which I really, really enjoyed. It's a jam. It's pretty close. Number one and number two are like, I like them both a lot. And then number one was I've had it up to here. Just liked that one a lot. It's great. It's a great song. I like so those it, are my top three. One thing I like about that song is it sounds like they took one section of the greatest man who ever lived and blew it onto a whole song. Yeah, it totally does. You're not wrong. Yeah, this was fun. This was this is this is also like very revealing for me as a look into your personal psyche about music and and Weezer specifically. That's what I mean. Weezer is a you know, the, even when they're not doing music that I like or music that is even, I think, objectively good, I still, I can't stop thinking about them. There's <laughs> you, no, there's you no. Are Matt Damon. There's no sketch. band. There's no band <laughs> like them. That, that that SNL sketch was me. It was I you. felt that. Scene. Special thanks to Danny Abound of the Weeping Willards for use of their song "Outside in the Rain" from their self-titled album, available still on Bandcamp. Still on Bandcamp. Uh, and special thanks to Carly Sussman, who designed our logo. You can find her work at carly-rose.com. If you want to, you got to like us. You got to like us. And you got to subscribe. Subscribe. Only if you want to. You only got to if you want to. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Facebook. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Really just like tell a friend. Yeah. And most importantly, stay tuned. Stay tuned. And keep watching the skies. What? No. Let's no. do our actual catchphrase. <laughs> Signing off from Jason. And Kelsey. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays. Nice. nice. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. They wish I would go ahead and fuck my life up. Can't let them get to me. And even though I always fuck my life up, only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Only I can mention me. Um, uh, you, I mean, if you, you couldn't do this now. Because those were all just people. They weren't people who... 
influencers who were getting fake married on Instagram to up their sales of their ugly t-shirts. What? So the, the Pauls. Oh, God. Jake Pauls is engaged, quote unquote. <laughs> um, Jake Pauls. Jake Paul? You know Jake Paul? Oh. You know who that is? He's one of the annoying blonde looking ones. Yeah. Okay. If you that's all you know, you're in, you're doing very well. Do <laughs> there not... was a thing with the suicide forest. That was that was Logan Paul. There's a different different Paul. Yeah. Those 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 the Pauls. Okay. Anyway, that's we not... can cut that out. We can, we can cut, <laughs> yo yo cut that. Cut that. 